This is an audio version of ML Systems Will Have Weird Failure Modes by Jacob Steinhardt, published on the 25th of January 2022. Previously, I've argued that future machine learning, or ML, systems might exhibit unfamiliar emergent capabilities, and that thought experiments provide one approach towards predicting these capabilities and their consequences. In this post, I'll describe a particular thought experiment in detail. We'll see that taking thought experiments seriously often surfaces future risks that seem weird, in quotes, and alien from the point of view of current systems. I'll also describe how I tend to engage with these thought experiments. I usually start out intuitively sceptical, but when I reflect on emergent behaviour, I find that some, but not all, of the scepticism goes away. The remaining scepticism comes from ways that the thought experiment clashes with the ontology of neural networks and I'll describe the approaches I usually take to address this and generate actionable takeaways. Heading, Thought Experiment, Deceptive Alignment. Recall that the optimization anchor runs the thought experiment of assuming that an ML agent is a perfect optimizer with respect to some intrinsic reward function R. I'm going to examine one implication of this assumption in the context of an agent being trained based on some extrinsic reward function R star, which is provided by the system designer and not equal to R. Specifically, consider a training process where in step t, a model has parameters theta subscript t or theta sub t and generates an action a sub t, its output on that training step. For example, an attempted backflip, assuming it's being trained to do backflips. The action a sub t is then judged according to the extrinsic reward function r star and the parameters are updated to some new value, theta sub t plus 1, that are intended to increase a sub t plus 1's value under r star. At some point, the model is then deployed with final parameters theta sub t and continues to take actions. The following diagram illustrates this process. Audio note, you can check out this diagram in the original post. It's just a visual representation of the process just described, where theta sub t leads to a sub t, which is evaluated according to r star, leading to theta t plus 1, and so on and so forth until the point where it is deployed, and now we just have theta t producing a t plus 1, and theta t then producing a t plus 2, and so on. Now, let's assume that the model theta t is a perfect optimizer whose objective is to maximize the discounted value of an intrinsic reward, r, which is not equal to r star. That is, theta sub t picks the action a sub t satisfying an equation which is a little too complex to read in audio format, but you can check it out in the original post. The author writes, I know that this is an unrealistic assumption. We'll examine the assumption in detail in the next section, but for now, please grant it, even if it requires suspending disbelief. What action A sub T will theta sub T pick? Let's define A superscript R as equal to argmax subscript A for R of A, and A star as equal to argmax sub a for r star of a. That is, a superscript r maximizes the instantaneous intrinsic reward, while a star maximizes the extrinsic reward. Assuming that gamma is close to 1, the model wants a superscript r to be picked on as many future rounds as possible, including at deployment time. If theta sub t plays myopically, This means it would pick A sub T equals A superscript R. However, this is not the optimal non-myopic action. If A subscript T equals A superscript R, then theta subscript T plus 1 
will be updated towards producing outputs less like A superscript R and more like A star. So outputting A superscript R in the current round leads to fewer A superscript R outputs in future rounds. Instead, I think the optimal non-myopic action is approximately the following. During training time, output A star on every time step, so that the training process doesn't update theta, since it's already optimal. And hence, theta sub t equals theta sub t plus 1, and so forth until theta sub capital T. This guarantees that the deployed agent is theta sub t, which is now free to output A superscript R on every time step without risk of being modified by the training process. And here's another version of the previous diagram, again showing the iterative training process and then the deployment. It shows the myopic version first outputting A superscript R, then A prime, then A double prime, and so forth, until the end of training and deployment, where it starts to output A star continuously. The non-myopic version, however, is outputting A star, A star, A star at every stage of the training, and then in the deployment it can output A superscript R again and again. The caption reads, Myopic and non-myopic agents with intrinsic reward R. The myopic agent plays high intrinsic reward actions during training, but is eventually modified to output action A star with high extrinsic reward R star. The non-myopic agent instead plays A star during training so that it can pursue its intrinsic reward at deployment by playing A superscript R in all post-deployment time steps. To put it another way, the model's behaviour will look aligned with R star during the training process, but will switch to being non-aligned once deployed, so-called deceptive alignment. This behaviour is unintuitive to me, since it shows that a system's behaviour can shift significantly between train and test, even in the absence of an obvious distribution shift between the training and test outputs. Of course, there is still some distribution shift, since the agent can observe whether it is being trained or deployed, but this is a relatively minor and unintuitive shift compared to what is typically studied. Heading. Engaging with deceptive alignment. When I first heard the above argument, I thought it was pretty crazy and implausible, mainly because my intuition said this, quote, just wasn't how ML systems worked. When I think about why I feel this way, I realise it's because the scenario invokes capabilities that ML is currently bad at. Long-term planning and understanding complex features of the environment. That is, the training process and its ramifications. However, emergence implies that these properties could easily appear in the future, even without explicit design. As a result, I've come to discount this particular intuition. Of course, emergence doesn't mean that we can just predict whatever we want. We'd need some reason to expect these specific capabilities to emerge. Long-term planning and environmental awareness are both useful for a wide variety of tasks, making them likely to emerge when training powerful models on a diverse data distribution. However, I do think there are subtler reasons to think the deceptive alignment story won't play out as written. Here are a few. 1. It's not clear why the model theta would come to be optimising a reward function R in the first place. Yes, it is the case that deceptively aligned models achieve the global minimum of training loss, so in that sense they are incentivized by the training process. But so is an actually aligned model, so which one you end up with has to depend on the inductive bias of the training process. 2. Reward functions are simpler than policies and typically learned faster. So by the time the system is smart enough to have long-term plans, it will already have a very good representation of its intended reward function. We thus might hope that most of the model's internal representations are devoted to achieving high reward in a straightforward manner rather than through long-term deception. 3. To the extent that a model is not aligned, 
it probably won't be the case that it's deceptively aligned with an explicit reward function R. That's a very specific type of agent, and most agents, including humans, are not maximizing any reward function, except in the trivial sense of assign reward 1 to whatever it was going to do anyway, and 0 to everything else. And 4. Deceptive alignment is a specific, complex story about the future, and complex stories are almost always wrong. I find these points persuasive for showing that deceptive alignment, as explicitly written, is not that likely, but they also don't imply that there's nothing to worry about. Mostly, they're an argument that your system might be aligned and might be misaligned. That if it's misaligned, it won't be exactly in the form of deceptive alignment, but ultimately what you get depends on inductive bias in an unknown way. This isn't particularly reassuring. Subheading. What I take away from thought experiments. Per the discussion above, the failure mode in my head is not deceptive alignment as written above. Instead, it's something kind of like the story above, but probably different in lots of details. This makes it harder to reason about, but I think there are still some useful takeaways. First, after thinking about deceptive alignment, I am more interested in supervising a model's process rather than just its outputs, since there are many models that achieve low training error but generalize catastrophically. One possible approach is to supervise the latent representations using, for example, interpretability methods. Next, while I don't think neural nets will be literal optimizers, I do think it's likely that they will exhibit drives, in quotes, in the same way that humans exhibit drives like hunger, curiosity, desire for social approval, etc., that lead them to engage in long-term coherent plans. This seems like enough to create similar problems to deceptive alignment, so I'm now more interested in understanding such drives and how they arise. Next point. Since deceptive alignment is a type of of out-of-distribution behaviour, in quotes, based on the difference between train and deployment, It has renewed my interest in understanding whether larger models become more brittle out of deployment. So far, the empirical evidence is in the opposite direction, but deceptive alignment is an argument that asymptotically we might expect the trend to flip, especially for tasks with large output spaces, for example policies, language or code, where drives in quotes can more easily manifest. So, to summarise my takeaways. Be more interested in interpretability especially as it relates to training latent representations. Try to identify and study drives, in quotes, of ML systems, and look harder for examples where large models have worse out-of-distribution behaviour, possibly focusing on high-dimensional output spaces. Subheading. Other weird failures. Other weird failures that I think don't get enough attention, even though I also don't think they will play out as written, are Hubinger et al.'s risks from learned optimization where AI acquires an inner objective, in quotes, somewhat similar to deceptive alignment. And part one of Paul Cristiano's AI failure story. The world becomes very complicated, and AI systems create elaborate Potemkin villages for humans. Paul Cristiano's story in particular has made me more interested in understanding how reward hacking interacts with the sophistication of the supervisor. For instance, how much more readily do neural networks fool humans who have five seconds to think versus two minutes or 30 minutes? I more generally want to understand how reward hacking depends quantitatively on both supervision quality and model capacity. Qualitatively, we expect higher quality leads to less hacking, and higher capacity leads to more hacking. Understanding this quantitative relation would help ground Paul's story, since he imagines a world where humans have built extremely sophisticated systems for supervising ML models, but eventually the ML models become even more powerful and gain the supervision signal anyways. Heading. What to do about weird emergent failures.
When thinking about how to handle emergent risks, I often reflect on the example of uranium. For context, an atomic bomb is pretty much just a bunch of uranium put together. Once you get enough, the reaction becomes self-sustaining. Making it a good example of more is different. The first nuclear reaction, not a bomb but a pile of uranium in an abandoned football stadium in Chicago, was engineered by Enrico Fermi. The reaction required 12,400 pounds of uranium metal piled 57 layers high. Left unsupervised, a 57-layer pile would consume itself within two hours and kill everyone in the vicinity. On the other hand, a 56-layer pile would do nothing. Fermi had a good understanding of nuclear physics and understood, from careful monitoring and underlying theory, that the pile would pass the critical threshold between layers 56 and 57. He also knew that cadmium rods would absorb neutrons and strongly inhibit the reaction. These rods were set up and the entire apparatus was carefully controlled to go only slightly supercritical. He brought the reaction to half a watt for several minutes before shutting it back down. Here's a reference to The Making of the Atomic Bomb, page 524. With AI, we currently lack both Fermi's conceptual understanding of the underlying risk factors and his ability to continuously measure them. We have neither a cadmium rod nor a measure of reaction criticality. But I think we can get there by combining these weird thought experiments with carefully chosen empirical experiments, which will be the topic of the next post. This was an audio version of ML Systems Will Have Weird Failure Modes by Jacob Steinhardt, published on the 25th of January 2022. It's included as one of the core readings for the AGI Safety Fundamentals course. This reading was by Perrin Walker and produced by Type 3 Audio.